enough to say, I can't believe you guys are going back. You used to be in bondage. You used to worship all these things, these weak things, poor things, beggarly things. He's like, these base things. I can't believe now God knows you and you're going back. How are you going back? Why are you going back? And brothers and sisters, just as the Apostle Paul loved the church in Galatia enough to say, don't go backwards, I really felt from the Lord that I need to remind us, don't go backwards. Rebellion is our default setting. We battle that even as believers, as spiritual fatigue sets in. Once you start falling backwards like anything falling, you pick up speed. That was Paul's warning to the believers in Galatia and Pastor Daniel's message to us today when he challenges us to consider whether our lives are all about us or all about Jesus. We're all worshipers of something, whether we realize it or not. Let it be the true living God. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message entitled, Jesus is Great. Now, that's why I said the biblical God makes us what? Family. That's why we talk a lot here at Crossroads about family, because Israel, we're a family of faith, fully engaged. Because it doesn't say that he's redeemed us back so we can have this nice little individualistic spirituality that's all ours. But he's saying, look, I've redeemed you from the law so that I might adopt you into a family. So God saves us from our slavery and brings us into a family. Now, you know what the problem with family is? And it's really what the problem with church is, is because it involves a lot of people. And our culture is so radically individualistic that everybody wants to say, okay, so my faith is my own and I don't want to be involved with other people because everyone's got a personality and an idea and everything. And you know what happens when everyone has an opinion? An argument happens. That's right. Because everyone has an opinion, right? And when you take this idea that God brings us into a family, right, we're adopted as children, it becomes a challenge. And a lot of people say, well, I love Jesus. I just don't love the church. You, you can't say that, really. People like, and it's, it's perfect American culture. But listen, if you like Jesus, then you, you're part of the church. Whether, you're part of it. Because we're a family. And the hardest thing in a family is to get everybody okay with one another. There's a million personalities, not a million. There's thousands of personalities here. And the problem with church is that people are like, well, I get my feelings hurt. Everybody gets their feelings hurt in a family, don't they? But what you remember is that family's family. And family being family, sure, we get our feelings hurt, but when you're family, you're still family after your feelings are hurt. And we learn how to humble ourselves with one another and say, I'm so sorry, my feelings got hurt, but hey, we're family. I remember growing up, and I'm all Italian, so there's some skewed ideas about family. But my parents used to always say, listen, don't ever forget your friends are going to come and go. Your sisters are always going to be your sisters. What great advice. Because they did come and go, but my sisters are still my sisters. My dad's still my dad. My grandparents are still my grandparents. And all these people come in and out of my life, but that stays the same. And that's the way the people of God are meant to be. 
that we're a family. And sure, it's an uneasy tension sometimes. Sometimes, you guys know this in a family, like different people have different roles in the family. Obadiah would love to be the maker of the family menu. He'd love to be. He's like, okay, for breakfast, we're going to have cupcakes. And for snack, we're going to have cookies. And, and, you know, I would love that, right? But you don't let your 10-year-old make the menu. You let mom make the menu. Because mom would be like, look, we can have cookies, but first you're going to eat your broccoli. Because that's what mamas do, right? Mama likes cookies. But mama knows you got to get your greens in you so that you grow up big and strong. But we're a family. And God saves us from our sins and puts us in this thing called the church, the family of God. And each one of us need to take our rightful place in that family. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. He's saying, look, you're individuals, but you're a body. And there's many members, but you're one body. And we have to find that balance because our culture wants to say, you're an individual and your individual rights rule, right? And then the Bible says, you're the church and you are an individual, but you are a member of a body. And ultimately, the body works best when all of the members take their rightful place. And it's an uneasy tension in our culture because, as I said, our culture is so individualistic that it's like, no, if you don't like it, then you take your marbles and you go play on your own because they're your marbles, but you can't do that when it's the family of God. You can't do it. It's easy to do it, but there's no growth when we do that kind of stuff. See, the biblical God makes us family. Not only does Jesus redeem us, but look what happens in verse 6. And because you are sons, and we said gender-neutral language was not a concern then. I mean, sons and daughters. Because we are adopted family members, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Now, this is the second great redemptive work that we see. First, Jesus coming and redeeming us by living the perfect life, dying on a cross and being resurrected. And we become positionally changed. We get adopted into the family. Now, we have the spirit of God because we've been adopted the Spirit of God enters our lives and gives us the experience of being family, where in your heart, the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. Now, that word Abba is an Aramaic term, which the best translation would be Papa or Daddy. It's the work of the Spirit of God in your heart and my heart that says, he's my dad now. God is my Papa. And it's an intimate term. It speaks of a casual relationship. Like you think about our president. If you met the president, you would say, good to meet you, President Obama. But do you think that his girls call him President Obama? No, right? They would probably call him dad or daddy or pop, whatever the, the family term is. See, there's a different relationship. And the spirit's job is to give us the experience of this new relationship. If my kids, they come into the family room after service, and they, my dad, 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 they give me this, they hugs and everything. Now, if you jumped in my arms and called me dad, dad, and stuff, that would be a little awkward, right? Because there's a different relationship. And the Spirit's job is to make us know that we know that we know that we are his kids. And in, in the Spirit of Hearts, cries out, you're my dad now. And we have a friendship, a relationship. I, I know your paternal care and concern. It's a great redemptive act of God. That you and I not only objectively believe in Jesus and have been redeemed, but subjectively experience all the benefits of what it means to be a family. And then in verse 7, therefore, 
you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, what is, when you see it there for, what do you say? What's it there for? It's, man, it's Bible 101 right there. It's, it's a concluding word. And Paul is drawing all this to a close. He's saying, therefore, you are no longer a slave. You're no longer under the law. You're no longer a child who's not mature. But you're a son, and if you're a son, then you're an heir of God through Christ. You are a completely mature, fully engaged family member, a partaker of all the inheritance that there is for us in Christ. All through who? Through Jesus. Through Christ. Now, what's interesting is, at this point, Paul stops arguing scholarly, and he begins to pastor them, right? We've been seeing Paul, he's being a scholar, a theologian. He's explained to them why it's not about what you do, it's about what Jesus has done for you. And he's making the argument of Abraham, and he's making the argument from their culture and, and maturity and rites of passage and the law being the, the, the caretaker and all these things. And now he's dialing down. He's like, now let's talk about you, Galatians. Let's talk about your life and our journey together. And I love how God does that because theology is cool, but it can't be divorced from real life. It's real easy to get theological and you're all off in theology land, but not put feet on it, put legs on it, not live that stuff out day in and day out. And I know for many of us, we know a lot of theology, but is all the truth that we know, is it hitting where the rubber meets the road? Are we living it out? And so Paul moves us from this theology down to real life. Look at what he says in verse 8. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those who were by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored in vain. You know what Paul is saying to the churches in Galatia? And I believe he's saying to us, don't go backwards. Don't go backwards. He's saying, listen, remember what happened before you came to know Jesus? You worship things that were not God. It's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? It's a good reminder to us. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, don't ever think you're not worshiping something. You have a God. Every single belief is still a faith-based belief. That's one of my favorite things when I talk to someone who's, who's atheistic in worldview. They say, well, I believe in reason. I'm like, well, that's a great religion to follow. That's not religion. It's scientifically proven. I'm like, no, it's not. Yes, it is. I'm like, you know how I know? And they're like, yeah, I want to know how you know. I'm like, well, you ever take a statistics class? And then everyone's like, huh? I'm like, everybody knows that an outcome is statistically significant at 99.9%. I remember in college, I wasn't a Christian, I'm sitting there, I'm like, and of course, results are statistically significant at 99.9% and all these hands go up. Why isn't it 100%? Great question. Because everybody knows you can never search out all the variables. Hmm. My friends, that's faith right there. Faith is saying all the details line up here but everybody has a, at least a 0.1% act of faith. Because maybe you didn't search out all the variables. I remember in a stat class, I'm like, that's really interesting. Now, I didn't know what to do with it until I got saved. And I'm like, oh, yeah. 
That's what faith is. Faith is saying all the evidence points here, but I have to take a step because I know I can't search out all the variables. And everybody believes in a God. Now, not everybody believes in the creator God, the God who creates and sustains everything, but everybody worships a God. Everybody's a worshiper. You're here today if you're like, look, I don't believe in God. I'm not a worshiper. Yes, you are. You might worship your own reason, your own mind, your own belief structure. You might worship uh, the almighty dollar or status or family. Everybody worships something. And Paul's saying, listen, you guys, don't go backwards. He's like, when you didn't know God, you served those things which were by nature were not God's. But now after you have known God, verse 9, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage. Paul's, see, he loves them enough to say, I can't believe you guys are going back. You used to be in bondage. You used to worship all these things, these weak things, poor things, beggarly things. He's like, these base things. I can't believe now God knows you and you're going back. How are you going back? Why are you going back? And brothers and sisters, just as the apostle Paul loved the church in Galatia enough to say, don't go backwards I really felt from the Lord that I need to remind us, don't go backwards. Don't go backwards. Because in a congregation the size of Crossroads, there's some of you, you're here right now, you fled into the arms of Jesus, all sorts of emptiness, brokenness, pain, issues, right? But little by little, you're starting to find your way back there. You ran to Jesus and you were embraced by Jesus. You're like, oh, I am home. And then time... And life and things happen. You start finding yourself journeying back to the thing that destroyed your heart. You and I need to make sure we don't revert back to the grooves in our heart that sin and circumstances have created. And I just felt like it was a strong warning. Paul loved the churches in Galatia enough to say, don't you remember what it was like? Why would you go back? Remember how you came to Jesus and what God had done. Don't go back. And I felt like the Lord said, Daniel, you need to remind the Crossroads family, don't go backwards. And if you're here today and you find yourself going backwards, stop it. Stop yourself and chain, go to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to go hard after you like I used to. Because the only thing I've learned It's a lot easier to live in rebellion against God than it is to live solidly because we all, our default position apart from the grace of God is always rebellion. And so rebellion happens really easily. It's like going downhill. You know when you're going downhill, it's easy to pick up speed. It's hard to pick up speed going uphill. And following Jesus with the Spirit is still an uphill battle. You're going against what comes naturally. And what happens is, is, People run into the arms of Jesus and they start running up the hill and then what happens is they start getting tired or things aren't working out. Man, I didn't realize it was going to be this hard and I just didn't realize that all these people I was walking with Jesus with, they're not walking with Jesus anymore and I got all these temptations and all this stuff and then all of a sudden what you do is you stop and then you start going downhill and that picks up steam really fast. So brothers and sisters, don't go backwards. The churches in Galatians were going backwards. This reminds you of Proverbs 14, 14. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. That's an exclamation point verse, isn't it? The backside, the person who's going back, going back will be filled with their own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. And isn't that the difference? That's how you'll know if you're heading backwards. 
because you are either it's all about you or you are fulfilled and satisfied by God. Now, it's amazing how some of like, as I was meditating, I'm like, man, that's a watershed verse, isn't it? You start looking at your life like, well, is it all about me? Well, I didn't like that, and this isn't okay, and I'm upset about this. Why upset? Well, because I didn't like what happened. And, and you're like, whoa, hold on. It's either all about you or it's all about Jesus. Right? And if you're in a backslidden moment, it's all about you. And if you are not, then it's all about the Lord. And you're like, Lord, I trust you. I don't understand any of this, but I trust you. See, the churches in Galatia went from it being all about what God had done for them to it's all about them and all about what they're doing. Because look at what he says to them. He said, it's amazing. He says, listen, he says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you lest I have labored in vain. He's saying, look, you guys are all about your laws now. You keep your Sabbath days. You, take, you keep your new moon months. You have the seasons, the Passover season, all this stuff. And you have your years of Jubilee. It's all about what you're doing. And he's like, I fear that I've labored in vain. See, Paul's looking at his ministry in the Galatians. He's like, maybe that didn't go so good. Maybe all of this has no purpose. I worked hard. I planted churches. I suffered persecution. I'm worried about them. And isn't that like the heart of a pastor to look for signs of growth in the garden of the people? Brothers and sisters, don't go backwards. And I say that to myself because all week I've been like, man, where am I going backwards? Where is it becoming about me? And what I want, where is all that stuff? Don't go back. See, the churches in Galatia left this stuff only to find their way back there. And Paul was calling them on it. Don't go backwards. Go forwards with the Lord. And then look at what happens in verse 12. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is a But it is good to be zealous and a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Now Paul's pastoral heart is in full blossom. And he teaches us something here, that we need to care about God's family. We need to care about God's family. See, think about the the thrust of all this. He's like, listen, it's time to come of age because the biblical God, through the finished work of Jesus and the power of the Spirit, has made you family. Don't go backwards, and you need to care about one another. And he says to them, listen, I urge you to become like me because I became like you. He's saying to them, listen, put yourself in my shoes. Because I put myself in your shoes. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That's where compassion happens. That's where empathy happens. That's where incarnational ministry happens. Because Jesus put himself, he became like us to bring us back so that we could become like God. And Paul's saying, listen, think about it from my situation. 
He's pleading with them as a pastor. And he goes back to how they met and what happened. Brothers and sisters, we need to learn how to become like other people. Not participate, but identify. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, right? Verses 20 to 22. Paul says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew that I might save the Jews. To the non-Jews, I became like the non-Jews that I might save them. I've become all things to all people that by some means, some may be saved. And one of the hardest things for you and I to do in the work of ministry is think about it from how somebody else sees it. Because we all see it the way we see it, right? So Paul's saying, listen, you guys, put yourself in my shoes, I put myself in your shoes and I brought the gospel to you. Put yourself in my shoes. Paul jumps right back into their history. And it's beautiful, really, what he says, because he's saying to them, listen, verse 13, you know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. He's saying, listen, when I came to Galatia, I was pretty busted up. That's what he's saying. I had these infirmities in my body. And he's like, and you guys received me as if I was an angel of God. You were not, you did not despise my issues. He says, look, I bear you, you would have given me, you would have plucked your own eyes out and given to me. That's where the idea that the apostle Paul the thorn in his flesh was some sort of an eye disease. It comes from this verse. Because Paul's saying, look, my eyes, so to speak, were so bad. You would have given me, you loved me that much that you would have done that for me. You would have cared for me. You would have done something as crazy as pluck your eyes out. And he's like, now am I your enemy because I'm being truthful with you? Now am I your enemy because I'm being honest with you? And then he says in verse 17, he's like, now he's talking about the Judaizers. He says, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is it's good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I'm present with you. He's like, look, the Judaizers, they want to exclude you so that you would rejoice in them. He's like, they want to be able to say, I got me a ministry. But look at Paul, and I love this, and I'm going to close with these verses. My little children, for whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed in you. Now, my friends, see what Paul's saying? He's like, look, I don't want you. I want to see Christ formed in you. My friends, that's how we care for God's family. Each one of us, each one of us is called by God, equipped by the Spirit to see Jesus formed in somebody else's life. That's what we do here at Crossroads. From the people greeting at the door to worship time to hearing the word, everything we do is we want to see Jesus formed in people. And guess what? All of us are meant to be involved in that. Brothers and sisters, how are you involved in seeing Christ formed in somebody else? See, Paul's, his words, my little children. He's saying, look, I I care about you like Papa God does. I am laboring because I want to see Jesus formed in your life. And brothers and sisters, we need to make that investment in each other. Jesus is real. Thanks for joining us today for this edition of Jesus is Real Radio. We're so blessed by what God is doing through Jesus is Real Radio. 
we want to give you the opportunity to partner with us. For anyone who wants to help further the gospel here on Jesus is Real Radio, with a gift of $20 or more, we will send you a personalized copy of Pastor Daniel's book, Honestly. I'll be back in a moment to tell you how you can receive your personalized copy. But first, here's Pastor Daniel with more about this special book offer. Thanks, Josh. Honestly is a book I wrote to help people deal with the messiness of life. I mean, we all know it. Life throws us curveballs all the time. We never know what's coming next. But honestly comes from what I've discovered out of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, how you can manage your life through the lens of your relationship with Jesus. It's some powerful stuff, and I've been blessed as many people have told me how the book has helped them on their spiritual journey. I'm confident that honestly will be a blessing to you as you walk with Jesus, and I'll be personalizing each and every copy for the Jesus is Real radio listeners who partner with us this month. Here's Josh with some more information. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive your very own personalized copy of Honestly, simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. Then you can securely make your donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping. Remember, by partnering with us this month with your gift, You'll not only receive this great resource, you'll also be enabling Jesus is Real Radio to be heard on this station and many more. That's all the time we have for today. Join us next time for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio. 